When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Podcast. I've got a. I don't know, Adam. You've been on here once or twice already. Yeah, a few times. times. Yeah. yeah, got Adam Verner back here from Elite Ag down in North Georgia, or sorry, North Florida, South Georgia, and over in Alabama a little bit. There, he uh, covers primarily. You're a Crone dealer. You got some Atco lines that you carry, and you've got a few other um, short lines that you carry. So you are right. a, a pretty busy fellow when it comes to this time of the year because. I imagine you're right on the uh, cusp of getting in the field and chopping some uh, corn silage about this time of year. That's it. That's it. Yeah. We've uh, we've already started a few of our customers that are way down in South Florida. They're like a different continent down there. <laughs> it's a different right. continent when you get south yeah. of Orlando. Yeah. Those guys have been going at corn silage for a few weeks now. But uh, yeah. yeah, we got about 10 days here, about middle, about June, June 15th, usually our go time for North Florida. That's yeah. where we start and, and kind of where we really go. And we'll start June 15th, migrate up through South Georgia, all the way up into North Georgia through about the middle of August is our corn yeah. season. Yeah. So just for the sake of kind of catch up here, kind of describe your area, what it is that's, that's dominates your area and 
where your primary focus is focus for your dealership yeah so uh, southwest uh, really all of south georgia but southwest georgia is kind of primarily where we are um, it's primarily row crop dominated uh, in terms of ag um, cotton and peanuts would be the two major row crops and you know back late 2000s there when corn shot up there we all figured out how to grow some corn so you know, now we're 300 plus bushel corn uh, in a good rotation, uh, kind of falls in a good rotation there for that. And when, you know, when wheat's up, we'll have some wheat just like this year. So last year we've had a little wheat around. Um, actually got a lot of produce. We had a, some meetings with some guys today on some produce, uh, a lot of green beans. I mean, you name it, green beans, tomatoes, sweet corn's coming out right now. We've got a ton of watermelons. So all your watermelons you eat for 4th of July, it's coming up here. All the watermelons you eat is going to come out of South Georgia here in, in my area ships and mainly it goes all the way up the East coast and some into uh, some into the Midwest, but all the way up the East coast as uh, all the 4th of July watermelons come from around here. So that's kind of our, uh, what the main crops are here in South Georgia, but for us where we try to be different, um, us as a dealership, we concentrate on commercial dairies, uh, beef guys and commercial hay. That's elite ag. That's our little niche and hole in the wall. Cause They've got some little specialty short line stuff that a lot of the bigger dealerships don't necessarily care or specialize it yet, specialize in it to know it. Like the choppers, feed wagons, all the stuff that goes with it. Um, basically everything that that dairies are involved with, the big commercial ones. And we've got a lot of 10, 15,000 head operations within an hour or two of us. So we kind of concentrate on those guys. And we've got a ton of of hay, small square bales in the horse hay market for uh, Georgia and Florida is really big. Um, so we've got a lot of customers putting up small squares still. And then, uh, again, since we're already in the feed wagon business and the hay business, that kind of falls into the beef side of things. Doing silage, we really try to do a lot of educating, putting up baleage and that sort of thing for South Georgia is still kind of a new thing for us because our growing season's so long and we can start putting up hay in March and go all the way to October, November. So it's never, we don't have the time constraints that you do up Midwest right. Northeast and be forced to do things in, in, on a timely manner. Everybody just always, ah, I'll just wait another week, 10 days, and there'll be a window. So uh, it's educational why, you know, you need to go putting up some wet hay and, and how, about how good it is and all, because the time thing does, isn't a selling factor. Yeah, very true. Very true. It's amazing when you get south how much agricultural practices change and, and mindset Absolutely. changes, you know, my neck, the woods up here, you get three cuttings, maybe four, if you're lucky. And yep. it is a tear to get, there's no messing around when it comes time yep. to cut that off. It's time to go. When, and I, get it. when I lived in Northern Minnesota, it was the same way. You know, I mean, yep. it was, you could set the calendars, you know and I mean? Yep. It's going to be within a week or 10 days either way. And that down here, setting a calendar by doing something. <laughs> is, is, uh, yeah. Yeah, something you don't do. Something that happened very often, at least. Even, yep, even for sure. the row crop guys. I mean, everybody wants to yeah. want the first one in the field, but at the end of the day, our corn planting windows sixty days. Right. I mean, the the, the 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 reason to run all night, you know, and everything's underwater. So, like getting it all in the ground before rain is just so you finish the field. Right. You know, right. go to start a different field after dark, and you know we don't. So, like. Another thing for Midwestern tractors versus Southern tractors, we don't ever order the LED light packages. You know, 
when we're ordering tractors. We don't add the four or five, six thousand dollar light packages because at the end of the day, we don't farm because our moisture is high, so our humidity. So we can't farm after we can't combine after dark. Can't pick cotton. You know, Mm -hmm. it's plant because the moisture comes back up in our soil so much it starts sticking to your press wheels on your planter. Stuff like like we stop when dark comes around. So yeah. That makes a lot. I never thought about that. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it's, it's the weird things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Yeah. So, all right. So being, a, you know, dairy being your niche right now, the dairy market, the way it's been, talk a little bit about that and how that's what you guys are seeing right now from an equipment standpoint. Yeah. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, the dairy market's still been good. Um, it, it's got its up and downs. I mean, the milk price has been down here for the last little bit, but that's, I think that is the the new norm for, the dairy business. And, and like I said, we don't have the small 200 cal dairies anymore. I mean, the smallest ones you'll find in the state now are five to 800. You know, that's, that's as small as you'll find. Uh, and those are getting less and less. I mean, more or less our, our 1100, 1200 is the smaller dairies now. So those guys can handle it. Uh, but believe it or not, our bigger dairies are still expanding, you know, and uh, they're still pushing forward. They had some good profits last year, even with feed prices as high as they were. Um, and they're, because of the way equipment has been the last five years, they're not necessarily, you know, we're not behind on equipment. They're not behind on equipment purchases and that sort of thing because the dairy business is okay. So they're just steady with their equipment and on their normal routines. So they're not, you know, they're still be able to pay cash for everything uh, our bigger dairies are. So, we keep them feed wagons, you know, the bigger ones that want the custom ordered feed wagons, you know, we keeping them one, one a year, just like, and they're phasing one out every year, um, just on the normal routine. So equipment wise, they're kind of holding steady. We've had a few, uh, we did have one six, 7,000 cow dairy uh, in the last year, get rid of all of his silage equipment. Uh, they have his family owned dairy. And they have always put up their own silage. I mean, for the last mm-hmm. few years, um, the last probably Casey, I'd say eight years, they've started hiring a custom guy, six, maybe six years to come in and help. And the custom guy has gotten more and more and more. And then this past fall, we actually, he said, Hey, we want to sell our chopper. And so we sold the chopper back in the fall there set it up for a guy in Mississippi here um, about a month ago doing some grass in Mississippi. So, you know, there, there's a, a big dairy that's gone all custom that always has, you know, owned equipment. So that was a, a decent change for, for that, for them. Yeah. Are you seeing a trend line towards that? Some of these bigger dairies where they're more going to be more, uh, I mean, they're still vertical integrated, but they're looking mm-hmm. at where they want to put their capital at. So ours are all over the place. Uh, believe okay. it or not. So we've got, a couple big dairies, I mean, you know, that own milk 14, 15,000 cows that are pretty much completely custom, mm-hmm. uh, even hiring the farmers to grow. So hiring outside farmers to grow all their feed, you know, outside custom guys to come in and cut it, you know, and maybe they farm five, 800,000 acres around a couple of their dairies that they've had forever and they just put it in the ground, you know, and but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that corn's not as good as what the farmers are growing. So it's just because they already own the ground. So they're putting something. Sure. Got two other really big dairies that do things completely opposite. I've got one dairy that 
he owns all the ground, but he hires a farmer. Basically, this farmer quit farming and just works for the dairy full time, roughly uh, 4,500 acres, and they triple crop it. Their goal is to have a plant growing, a seed in the ground, I should say, uh, 300, 310 days out of the year. Oh, wow. So, so you think of three crops, you've got, right. you know, just two weeks basically is their goal between harvest and having another seed in the ground. Um, wow. 4,500 acres. So in a sense that, that, that row croppers farming, you know, almost 14,000 acres covering almost 14,000 acres for the year. Um, yeah. Now, so he hires this custom guy, so to speak, to do all the planting, spraying, dirt work. He actually keeps in-house and the dairy owns its own choppers and trucks and packing tractors. So they keep okay. part of the operation in-house. And then I've got another dairy that's right up the road, about an hour up the road. That's very, again, 12,000 cows or so. They're the complete opposite. So they keep all of the planting, dirt work, and spraying in-house and mm-hmm. in custom silage crew with choppers and all the hay equipment for forage and, and all the trucks for corn silage. Now, they do pack their own corn silage, but they, they have it all custom. So there's two dairies not an hour apart that their farming yeah. practices are completely yeah. opposite of one another. And yeah. both of them have awesome operations. You know, yeah. I, can't, I can't say that one is better than the other, you know, and the way that mm-hmm. they, the way that they do stuff, because both of them are still actively trying to expand as well. So yeah. Yeah. that, that kind of tells you how they're <clears throat> when they're trying to buy, buy other dairies and buy more land and, yeah. and their operations. So, yeah, so that's so, kind of a unique thing, I think. Yeah. It sounds like, I mean, it's just, uh, cause typically when you see something like that, you'll see a trend line where, you know, multiple operations kind of follow a similar trend line. Yep. Trend set line because typically those guys are all work, you know, they know each other and they're talking to each other and they kind of best practices and those kind of things. They share those things back and forth, but to have so dynamically different what they do, it's, it's, uh, it, it definitely kind of tells you where they're, where they're at and in their mindset. It's, yep. It's all working for everybody, you know. Now, and in, and in North Florida, there's a few that are actually more like, uh, like the Riverview, a big dairy group up there in Minnesota, South Dakota. You know, so they come in and build the dairy and they just, they custom everything out, you know, from all their straw to their corn silage and everything. And um, so we've got a few dairies there in North Florida that are 100%. They hire out everything, you know, they just milk cows. Yeah. So we've got basically all three different ones, you know. Yeah. Relative. So you can't talk about you know, the, the deep South there with that really talking about the number of tractors that are out there of cotton taking as many tractors as it needs to operate there. And that's, that's kind of slimmed off a little bit here with introducing, uh, the bell, uh, bell, uh, automated bell, um, cotton pickers yeah. and those roller pickers. So, yeah. Roller pickers. There's what I'm trying to say. Um, as those kind of come along, you see some of that tractor stuff, but there's still a lot of tractors down there in the South. So I guess looking at where we were two years ago, where if you had one, you could, Yep. You, could, you were the only, you were a, yep. you know, three-eyed unicorn someplace. And now if you've got, <laughs> and you probably got a few sitting around there, I guess. So taking a look at that market now and the swing that you've seen, Adam, I guess talk a little bit about that and what the changes in the market you've seen over the last couple of years. Yeah. So Casey, for us, it's still, 
the big tractors. So when I say high horsepower, 200, 200 horsepower, Plus. you know, what we, what we consider high horsepower. Those things are still all pre-order. I mean, okay. Yeah. It comes in, whether, whether we're talking green, red, blue, doesn't matter. You know, most, all of those things are pre-sold before they come in us with, with versatiles on our high horsepower as well, struggling to get the new ones. So the new equipment on the high horsepower tractor side is still awful short. Uh, 150 down, you're seeing those pop up on all the dealership lots and more. And we would right. be the same on the on our Agco side with our Massey. We've we've got a, a good um good selection of them and good order pipeline coming for the next for the next year or so. So we're we're happy where we're sitting. We're probably a little higher than we want to be on the little guys, but um as far as South Georgia and with all the peanuts and stuff, it's still really tight. We've seen some guys switch from green to red or go to the fence because and or we've had guys that have come to us and said, hey, we want to trade up and buy some more versatiles. And physically we don't have a new tractor to sell them. Right. Uh, and so and they feel like they want to go ahead and trade now. And so we've had some trade out um and go to a different color. Nothing based on and and switch between deer and case and fent and all those. Not and it has nothing to do with the used ones they were getting rid of, it was just when they were ready to trade for their operation, it was basically all they could find. Right. One unique thing that maybe changed our market as far as the number of 8R, you know, high horsepower tractors our guys have to own. Um, we've had a self-propelled peanut combine come into the mix through Colombo, which is the company out of Brazil. Okay. Yep. Uh, yep. It's called the Avanti. And I haven't had that much experience with it, just talking with Claxton, with Eddie, you know, mm -hmm. about it. And um, and we've got a cust some mutual customers that have run them. And they didn't do that well last year, but they did well enough to, for my customer to say, like, we're going to hold up ordering some tillage equipment because if these things work, it's going to change our the way we farm. Okay. Yeah. Because the unique thing about South Georgia or the South, and I'll include North Carolina in this too, you know, the South, Southern, Southeastern farmers is we have to own three harvesters. Peanut combine, combine, regular general combine for corn, and then a cotton picker, you know, and the cotton picker is one of deer's million dollar machines and sure. you know, the combines aren't far behind. And, you know, a peanut combine is, they're not overly expensive. I mean, they're a couple hundred thousand, 150, 200,000. So relative, they're not as expensive, but if you want to farm a thousand acres of peanuts, you better have four to five of them. And then okay. four to five, eight R tractors to put in front of them. Sure. Stump carts. <laughs> and, yeah. And right. and you need uh, one uh, peanut inverter, so peanut digger per mm -hmm. two pickers. So if you have okay. four pickers, you've got two buggies and two diggers. So you need eight eight R tractors to roughly do a thousand acres of peanuts. Gotcha. So is that this this uh, Colombo uh, peanut combine? Is it doing all that one pass now? So it's, it's eight. So it's it. No, it's not a. There's no way because you have to let the peanuts dry. So you, okay. you have peanuts. Uh, we're still kind of six rows at a time, so six 36-inch rows, so 20 foot at a time, 
invert them. You let them sit on top of the ground and dry down for about three days, roughly, uh, before you come back with the combines and pick them. Uh, but the Colombo is actually eight rows. So it's the first one that's eight rows, and it has a folding header because their headers actually are four independent. Each row is an independent header. Uh, it's a neat concept. And it's picking. They're able to go a little faster. They have a rotary design. It's different than our KNCs and Amatas that are the main ones. Uh, mm -hmm. They're able to almost do with one of the self-propelled, what, three pull types can do. Okay. Uh, they weren't quite holding up, and I mean, obviously, it's it's a brand new product, so it, there's gonna you're gonna have some yeah, have some bugs there. Yeah. But the other cool thing is, you can actually put a corn head on it and shell oh, some. Really? Uh, and they did shell some corn with it, and and you can only run like an eight row on it or something. So I like it's not going to change. You know, you're not going to see these things popping up all over North America because it's not going to do what a 50 series or an S series combine is going to do. But for us down here, we don't have the grain storage and grain handling infrastructure to handle a 12-row corn head just about. I mean, there's right. very few of our farmers have the grain bin storage and or drying capacity to handle a 12-row corn head. So right. eight rows, fine. And going slow at picking corn, again, because our weather, we're not, we're not constricted by our weather. Just let it sit for another, you know, day or two or a week if it rains, you know, so... If if we can if we can take this one machine and cut out two or three tractors on the tractor side and not have to buy a combine, because again we can order own two or three of these Columbos for the peanut side of things, and then we'll use those two or three to shell some corn. corn yeah. Like now we don't have to own now these bigger farmers that own 12, 15, the guys some customers we were at today they own 25 ish. Uh, and it's almost 28 hours. Uh, so if you can cut that by half and or turn oh, yeah. it into some articulations, <clears throat> now we can go with bigger tillage equipment, bigger planting equipment, because at the end of the day, we're still 12-row stack fold planter. Right. And limited to the tillage equipment that we can pull because we only have 370 horse. Right. right. You yeah. know, 340 horse is a popular size, so. That's our biggest limiting factor for us down here is, is horsepower because we've got to go back down a row of peanuts multiple times, whether we're spraying, digging, or picking, and then also go back down our cotton rows for lay-by and spraying purposes. Yeah. That, so that's our row crops dominate for us. So your customer that was holding off on the tilled stuff, if they changed the way his farming, he was thinking – bigger tillage pieces and you just want to make sure it was going to work right correct and so instead of buying say, <laughs> like, our, like i was telling you our, our, earlier our, our lambkins so mm -hmm. limited to a 20 foot you know high speed disc or 340 right. horse you know for 8r 340 right. um that's all we can pull in our sandier dirt um that's mm -hmm. all that's all we can pull so if he can you know get rid of some of the 8rs maybe trade up for a 9r now we can get a a 33 footer, you know, sure. Yeah. Something like that, or even go with a 40 foot on the lighter, the Heliodors or something like that. Yeah. Uh, would really that, change the tillage. Yeah. So that's something I've had a conversation with a lot of guys about just in general is, is looking at some of these operations and, and then really dialing in on somebody. So for so long, they've just kind of peanut buttered across to everything. Like we need to have this many eight hours, this many, whatever, you know, this yep. many, what, da, da, da. And not necessarily looking at, you know, 
the operation, like, okay, right here we can eat 400 horsepower because we can do this. And if we change some tillage can, practices yeah, or change some plant exactly, practices, yeah. spray in whatever. Yep. That's yeah, what, yeah. dialing in that, that horsepower where you need what, when, and why do you need it that way? And you start looking at it, like in your situation there, that one machine comes in and totally retrofits the yeah. entire way people have farmed down there for a hundred years, you know, yeah. so it's, it doesn't things. That's a big deal when you start looking at that. So now you start looking at it from a from a perspective of what's that do to you know the movement of used equipment in your area. And yeah. I think probably the 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 really only model that you guys have is when you're looking at it that way, it would be, you know, how um the basket picker to the roller picker and what that's done to those those that marketplace and that used equipment line. I guess thinking about that a little bit, Adam, what's your what's your crystal ball telling you about this long term? Changing, yeah, possibly. Changing you you know, and the, the the funny thing, you know, we're not, we don't really like. I said we don't mess with the peanuts very much, so we're not even a Colombo yeah. dealer. But I still think it's really fascinating and yeah. neat. And and you know, Steve and I, that's one of the biggest things that we push is trying to be different and trying to go out and push the envelope in terms of what granddad, what grandpa did, right. and trying to save passes. You know, mm-hmm. can we bring this piece of tillage in? Because again, with our peanuts being they're grown underground, like we're still, you can't really no-till peanuts. You can, but not long-term. The nematode right. and the bugs and stuff we have, it's, it's, it won't work long-term. So at least you got to turn the dirt once every three, four years, depending on your peanut rotation. But yeah, it could, I'd love to see some more articulated tractors. And I mean, at the end of the day, it would make us more efficient because right now yeah. as a whole, it doesn't sound good to say we're not, our farmers aren't efficient, but at the, at the end of the day, the acres we cover per day is, and it's just because we've been around this country, lived around this country a lot. I know how many acres we can cover in a day, you know, how much a 24 row planter right. covered versus right. two 12 yeah. row stack folds. And we pull yeah. straight to the end of the row. I mean, we still got half, half the guys don't even have row shut off on their planters because until the roller picker that needs two acres to turn around on the headlands, like, and they still just, and we got corn guys that plant straight to the end of the row, drive to their damn near weights, hit the damn fence, pick up, do a five point turn, backing up, turning around, back up with their, with their uh, green star on and then sit down and then go again. And they don't plant the headland pass. They leave staggered ends all the way around the field, corn, peanuts, cotton, all the above. And don't, and I don't, in 2023, and I'm talking about it's everywhere, not just farmer to farmer, the insurance farmer down the road, like it's all over the place. And like I said, to me, there's no reason for it now with the roller picker takes, turn that joke around and it's only six rows. So you're going to be inefficient turning around. It's going to take you some room. So why not plant you some headland passes? You're going to run it over anyway. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. and, and the, the only one that makes sense, a little bit of sense to me is peanuts because you got to let them dry. So if you invert those peanuts, you know, first, when you're digging the rest of it, you're going to drive over them. You know, so to do that, you got to pick those two, three days earlier, invert them, then pick them and then come back. So the peanuts, I can understand a little bit, but corn and cotton and all. I mean, so that's that's a weird thing. So going to bigger equipment. And hopefully that would be bigger planters. Yeah. Um, then that would lead to, and we still get guys that will say, ah, 
you can't you can't take a, a pipe planter and hold it on a strip till road. Right. Or you can't take a twisty tractor as they call them down here. They don't drive straight with a GPS. That's what that's what they still say. Because <laughs> we've been trying to sell some small first tiles to them, you know, and we're like, Look, man, we'll just put a three-point hitch on it. Like you can pull your 12 row ripper betters, whatever, 12 row strip tier rigs, like because it's heavy enough. It's, you know, and they're like, oh no, that twisty tractor is not gonna, it's not gonna drive straight. You know, it's gonna when it twists, it, you know, that's like that's 20 years ago. Yeah. So they had to come <laughs> with the steering mouse 20 years ago. Yeah. They will yeah. drive straight, I promise you. Yeah. yeah. And we have we have receivers yeah. now that go on the planters to keep sure that yeah. the planters yeah. on the strip tail row. And we have strip yeah. tail that'll actually put the fertilizer out at the same time. You don't have to make yeah. you know, and I mean you so it's woof. Um, it's we're still we got years before we'd be up with you guys, Casey, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we still see some, I think that's the difference in, in climates where you live at. I mean, yeah. we're, where we're at, we're pressed to get things done yes. as efficiently as we possibly can and, and as much as we can possibly go. And, you know, there's, and we're down your neck to it. It's just, you know, like you said, you, you got make 60 five, days six passes, corn, no big you know? deal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got so much time to get things done where you, and we have such a narrow planning window that, you know, it's a, it's a big deal to get those things to happen. And then you start talking about technology. And I think the adoption of the technology in, in the, uh, the quote unquote corn belt has gotten to be such a mainstream. And I joke with my guys all the time up here where, you know, a guy, will, the tractor's buzzing at you, that's going to blow up and they keep going, but lose an AV line and they, they stop tomorrow and, 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 Got to call someone to come fix that, you know. <laughs> so it's stuff it like steer, that. It won't steer, and, yeah. and they probably still I got mean, road markers on their planter too. <laughs> but they don't yeah. yeah, you know. So I mean, you 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 get into that kind of situation where you're starting to see that happen, where the technology is getting to be such an important part of the machine. Now it's not. It's you know, I the conversation I've had with guys is that the actual powertrain. I don't want to say that it hasn't you know, adapted and grown because you know, seen IBQ transmissions and constant light transmissions and those kind of things. But that technology has been around for a long time and it's not really done a bunch, right? I mean, you've seen some horsepower on machines and different emissions and those kind of things, but what's really grown on, on equipment, regardless of, of the brand is the technology that's being put into them, whether it's being integrated, yep. somewhat integrated, you know, the bolt on stuff, the planner stuff now, I mean, I mean, yeah. looking at the amount of technology that's on a planner to go to the field now is as much as it's on a on a tractor to go to the field now. So it's just there's like I'm partly glad we don't machines. mess with planners for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of technology on those things, but it's, it's like two independent machines working in the field at the same time. Absolutely, you know what I mean, like doing it. One's doing its own thing, another one's doing its thing, and they're they're kind of just talking to each other. And you know, I'm still back here. Don't forget about me, type of thing. You know, it's it's amazing to watch that growth of technology and how that's coming along. The customers that you have down there that are embracing that, that technology side of it, wh at whatever level it is. I mean, is it, is it a generational thing that you see where more of the stuff's coming in or did, is it kind of just, I finally saw the light and I'm regardless of age, I'm, I'm jumping on the technology bandwagon. Um, the first ones tend to be my generation, you know, mm -hmm. If, if they've got a guy and their son or whatever in their 40s or whatever. And in some cases, there's a couple guys that run their whole operation and they're in their 40s by themselves, you know, and mm -hmm. 10,000 acres. They push it, you know, because the, the acres that they're covering. And then I've also got 
some of my best friends that I went to college with that are my same age that farm 2,000 acres and they just take her easy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's just the the individual itself at the yeah. end of the day. Uh, we've got some older guys, older generations that are just as aggressive at being efficient and that love that, to me, you crave data. Like, do yeah. you crave data? Like, do you, do, you want, do you want the input or are you just looking at the dollars and cents yeah. in your books at the end of the year? Is that is that really all you look at? Or do you really want to see the, you know, eight by acre soil sampling, grid mapping, variable rate, you know, is that a good thing? I mean, I, the guy, we had um, the, we got the first two, our first two, like the soil warrior. Yeah. The big integrated uh, strip. Mm-hmm. There's two of those came down to Georgia last year and, and they had, they come down and talk to us about being a dealership and I was interested. And so I was just kicking it around with some, with some farmers and guys. And I literally had guys tell me that, oh, you can't, you can't ban that fertilizer like that. You'll ruin your field. You'll take all the fertility out of your field that way. And I didn't, I didn't reply, <laughs> but I, it just, it really made me, it really made me laugh that, I mean, is that, that yeah. short-sighted to think that if you just put fertilizer in one place, the rest of your dirt goes to crap, you know? <laughs> and so, yeah. You know, and yeah. that's, um. so we still fight that yeah. at the end of the day. And you think just from a simple technology standpoint that they would understand strip tilling and then plant going back on that same line and planting on top we're, of that I line mean, we've again. been strip-till down here probably longer than anybody with our cotton because yeah. cotton is one of the most forgiving crops in terms of getting it out of the ground and mm-hmm. population stand. Population doesn't isn't as critical. So you have a lot of a plethora of options to spray with, and you got to be spraying every two weeks anyway. So like throw in another herbicide, no big deal because we're spraying for insects, fungicide, or picks, you know, growth yeah. all the time. So it's not, so it's not hard for necessarily weed control, but man, I, I tell you, it's, it, um, it's one of those things that's, that's, I think held us up a little bit because cotton was so easy to grow and, and it was so easy to grow in a strip till rig. And it's, it's made us not push the envelope as much as corn. And cause also I'll, I'll throw out this, our peanuts. So peanuts, there's no yield monitoring for peanuts. The only thing you know is when you run your semi across the scale and how many tons they say are, are in the semi yeah. and how many semis you take to town to the, to the um, peanut buying point. Because the little, the light, the cameras that are looking for, you know, in your grain shoot, grain elevators, they yeah. can't tell the difference between a peanut and a, and a clot of dirt. Oh, really? Okay. So we've been slow, I think, on all of the above because, A, our cotton is so forgiving, but then, B, our peanuts, we've never been very you, – you can't be very data-driven with peanuts. Mm-hmm. It kind of right. is what it is. got to have a specialty planter. There's only a couple planters that you could, that can put it in the ground. I mean, now we got three uh, or four, four – a couple out of market uh, monoceums and crust busters, in addition to the deer. Right. But yes, so there's not very, there's only so many things that you can chase with peanuts. It's a gamble. Like you can pull them up and start counting pods and this, you know, see how much, see how many you got. But it's, it's really a gamble. You don't know till you got it on a truck and it's at the right buying point. 
Right. Um, right. So I think that's kind of what, until we really got into the corn, that was when you could really start to embrace and see the vertical integration of soil sampling, fertilization, the planting, spraying, the combine, like the whole farm. Whole picture coming together. Yeah. yeah and, and being able to lay it on a, on your computer there and, and see some benefits and changing some of that stuff because, you know, and now they get they're getting there with the with the cotton picker now. So I mean, you can you can variable rate. They can read in the the CP six ninety's been the biggest for that. You know, so um, where you the picker the strippers out west and they can variable rate that and get your yield mapping and all that kind of stuff and track track those bales wherever yeah. they all that kind of stuff. So now they yeah. got a couple crops that they can do that with. Yeah, yeah. That 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 uh that bell picker is something else. It's amazing. It's what they can do with it, and they can you can earmark each bale as to know what you know how much it weighed, and moisture, yep. and all that. I mean, just very, very interesting what you can do with all that. And it, explaining to people <clears throat> works like literally how it's built and how it works that really blows people's mind. And oh, uh, yeah. I laugh, I laugh all the time. It's one of my best friends from college. He and he he's got they row crop, they do cotton, and they do hay. Brown bales, and when it first the first year it come out, we were at the farm show down here in Moultrie at Sunbelt, and he comes and he said, "Man, he said, John Deere's got to be the dumbest son of a gun. Those engineers are gonna be the dumbest people I've ever seen. They took their two pieces of equipment that catch on fire more than anything else, a cotton picker and a round baler, and they put them together." He said, "I can't <laughs> believe they did that." And I mean, they do catch on fire quite a bit, but but yeah. it's like talk about something that changes the industry. I mean, it, oh yeah, it's it's amazing what that's done. It's on cotton, you know. It's, it's absolutely changed the way just the whole, like, again, like, kind of like your guys there, I'm going to hold off on a minute because, well, this piece of equipment is going to change the way I farm and, and you've so seen that. To, yeah. So, yeah. So I was going to cover that. So we talked about that yeah. on the, you know, so back in the day on the cotton side, so just an average cotton farmer would run, a smaller cotton farmer would run two six row pickers. And then he'd have to have a bowl buggy to, if he was going to yeah. be efficient. And then two module builders, which mm-hmm. basically be making a big for people that don't yeah, know big big bale yeah. of cotton on the side of the field that you could then put in a truck to haul it to the gin. And, yeah. and, and so it took for you to, to for you to even do 50 acres in an afternoon, you know, or so it took five people and five pieces of equipment, you know, so you had three tractors and two cotton pickers. And then to move all that stuff down the road, I mean, you're like a custom harvest crew moving. Well, now you can pick 100 acres in the afternoon, like after church on Sunday, you can get on the cotton picker at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and pick 100 acres by yourself. You don't need anybody. And drop bales off at the end of the field, you know, and so then you just take a wheel loader, even having tractors with rear lifts and load them on your own semi. You don't have to pay the den to haul for you on the module truck so you can haul your own so you can pick which gin you go to not just your yeah. gin so now you can yeah. sell the gin because you're hauling full semi loads so and now you can haul to a gin several hours away if they're paying yeah. most literally which that was not an option earlier and then also now the gins and this is six, eight, 10 years ago the gins actually started incentivizing this and actually would uh, charge you less to gin the baled cotton versus module. 
So they charge you pay 11 cents a pound to gin a module to come in through the gin, and they charge you eight cents a pound to gin a bale of cotton. Oh, wow. That is because the bales, like we said, the data and all the electronics and stuff that's in those, the 7760s at the time, but CP 690s now, every bale's weighed and every bale's the same density. And so the gin is able to be more efficient because every every round bale that comes through there is the same. And the modules... There's there's just a guy sitting up there working two hydraulic remotes back and forth, moving this yeah. press, this packer down, and just how aggressive he wants to be and packing the module as as it gets dumped yeah. in. And so yeah. he may say he's done, and then the next guy's there, he's packing for another 20 minutes, you know, 30 right. minutes. And can, yeah. the gin was able to be more efficient. So I mean, like yeah. it from literally from start to finish. It, yeah. Stuff. Yeah, it's it's crazy how much that's changed, and that's kind of where I've seen over the years. There's still a ton of eight R's and stuff like that that come out of that that 270 horsepower to 340 horsepower tractor. There's still a million of those down there, but yep, it's it's not like it used to be. You know, anywhere nope. they were just you know hundreds at a time coming through, going through the wholesale market trying to figure out which ones you wanted and. It's not nearly as big of a deal as it used to be when it comes to the track. Again, because we, we we cut out all three of those factors that they needed on the cotton side of things. Yep. Yeah, you cut it in about half when you look at the numbers, and then you take about half yep. of those tractors out of the mix. And so. so then, like we talked about with the peanut side of things, like you want to put a dent in the 200-plus used tractor market? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have a crystal ball for that one, Casey. Like, Yeah. Well, that if that happens down there, we can start taking that combine, and you start really same kind of deal with that. You're going to really knock that in the head. I mean, a lot, and that's going to be that's one thing from anybody <clears throat> in the Midwest that comes down here is always amazed at the number of units that we have on all of our dealership lots. Right, just the sheer yeah. volume, especially especially like I said, we talked about the other continent of South Florida. Like you get down there, <laughs> some of those places down there, and geez, yeah. you know they they rail them in you know for the right. sugar guys and stuff down there yep. and produce guys down there um mm-hmm. but for here i mean it's you know like so we're the only place i know of and you correct me when, I, when i'm wrong we're the only place i know of in north america where we have five different dealership groups within an hour and a half of one another of that magnitude yeah, Deer, yeah deer, that and that are strong they're all really yeah. good yeah. outfits with with a and lot of stores and do a lot yeah. of business do a lot of business so you don't usually get that that level of mm-hmm. like that because it's just not the and that's not you know, store that's locations that's dealership yeah groups. dealership <laughs> and group and yeah. there's still more stores on top of that i mean that's 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 one thing about the south too is that the the proximity of those locations to each other 30 minutes I mean, yeah i mean it's not uncommon yeah. to have you know 15 or 20 miles away there's another dealership yeah. you know and, and both here, of them have you know, 50 tractors on the yard. Yeah. It's a full <laughs> service deal. It's not like yeah. one's bigger than the other one. And this is just a parts deal. And this is just a service no. deal. And we kind of, you know, whatever. it's a full blown dealership. You know, that's, and that's and the, the same, thing about and the be South the same and be under the same dealership umbrella, you know, and yeah. not, not even be competing brands. And I mean, it's, yeah. it really is one of the only places you, you can find that in the state. Yeah. Right and touch points between customers, even that close are, very limited you know what i mean like it's yep. just this location this is their customer base and 
there's yep. not a lot of bleed over unless there's like some crazy thing they got to go do, but it's even that close. It's like on the other side of the hill, they don't go on the other side of the hill. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, and it's a tough sell for us being a single store, you know, um, people are scared of our service being able to travel because they're used to being 30 minutes away from everything yeah, uh, and being able to grab it. So that's been, that's always been a tough sale for a new customer that doesn't, that hasn't been with us before. They don't realize that we, our customers go from Okeechobee to Montgomery, Alabama to talking with a guy today from upstate in South Carolina, you know, just because mm-hmm. of specialty stuff we sell. There's not mm-hmm. a place necessarily where they can get it between here and there. Yeah. Yeah. And those, those niche markets do have their, have their place when you start looking at what yep. you're doing. So it's good and it's good uh, and bad. You know, and we try yeah. to keep it on the simple side of things so we don't have to chase them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last thing here and we'll, we'll wrap it up. Let's talk a little bit about what you see happening in the used chopper market. So it's choppers of choppers, you know, it seems like they get the short end of the stick, even shorter end of the stick than combines get. So, you know, you're looking at the chopper market right now. What do you see as some of the headwinds in front of you? And what do you see as some of the positive stuff head, headed your way? Um, I still, and again, I told you for us, all of our guys are kind of in their own rotation we're not going to have a big influx of guys buying new machines like this year. That's just where we're at in our our rotation of machines. So, so we're not flush with used ones either. So that's kind of a good thing <laughs> in a way. Right. Um, I still struggle with this high horsepower used market and where that thing's, where those machines are going to go. I mean, I think we've had the same conversation um, whatever, a couple of years ago right. on the podcast and yeah, I still don't know where the 9900s, uh, the 990 Clauses and these big 1180 Crones, you know, that are million-dollar machines, who buys a six, $700,000, 2,000-hour machine? I don't. Right. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Is, I don't know yeah, how many of these guys are out there yeah. without the manufacturers stepping up and having some sort of, you know, like Klaus's, uh research program on combines. Yeah. You know, and, hey, you check all these boxes. The dealership has some skin in the game to go back and put a manufacturer's extended warranty on it of some sort. I don't even think necessarily third party could make me feel good about 600000 700000 on a used machine. Yeah. That's completely yeah. warranty. Um, that was out a custom guy, you know. Uh, with who knows H2A worker running it. Right. Uh, yeah. That, yeah. So that market, uh, that market, I still think is going to be a challenge. Uh, honestly, Steve and I both have seen, we've actually sold more little ones for us, more 600 horsepower machines, simply from a cost perspective. Yeah. They're actually pretty dang efficient in our mm-hmm. down here for our grass and stuff. And the number of hours that we put on machines um we've we've actually sold more of those in the last few years than i thought we would have than i than i than yeah. i would bet you you know if you'd asked me five years ago I, I wouldn't have said we'd have sold that many i'd have thought we were going bigger 700 800 000 horsepower machines um but we did we we have had a few high horsepower cones come in they were from one of our better operators so and everybody knew that so we were able to find homes for them yeah um but we've had some high horsepower machines that come here and be here two years. Right. Until yeah. 
till somebody's machine just happens to tear up in a different part of the country. And they wonder why we have it priced the way we do, because we're like, we want you to have it. <laughs> There's nothing. <laughs> we're not, we're not hiding anything. Yeah. Like, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll run it through the shop again just for you. We want you to have it. We're, we're not trying yeah. to. We're not trying yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. We, we got a price to sell for a reason. And I think that was the, the point you just made on about everything. You look at combines, big four-wheel drives, all those yeah. things, where you're starting to look at some of these, these machines coming through that are, I mean, 600,000, 700,000. Um, you know, if you can't, especially on some of these bigger combines, I mean, if you were. X9s, yeah. I mean, some of the stuff where you're looking at a lot of these machines where, the uh, the new smaller machine is your comp- direct competition for the used piece that you're selling. You know, it's it's a cheap, <laughs> exactly. it's a better, it's cheaper for yep. you to buy this brand new used one or the brand new smaller one than it is the used big one. You know, and, and I think that's playing in, into some of these people's decision making processes. You, you at least at least you think it's it's got to be somewhere in the back of their mind going, I could buy one brand new one of these and not this brand new used one or this used one over here. Yeah. That's more, that's the same price. So the, so the other thing, like with us, I talked to infrastructure on grain handling. So we don't have the grain handling facilities for X nines down here. We don't have the drying capacity. We don't have the co-ops. We don't have the local elevators. We don't have that. Same token with a 990, 9900, 1180 Chrome, big chopper on the used market side. If a guy's going from a 500 horsepower machine and he's got this big one here with 12 row head that's got is in his price range and is a great deal, he doesn't have the infrastructure to handle that chopper. Right. He's buying way overkill for everything he's got. So then the chopper just sits idle all the time, waiting on trucks, waiting on the push tractor, you know, because he's still got all 10 wheelers. He doesn't have semis, you know, and these big things, man, you better have semis. You better not be chopping in wheelers or wagons, you know. Right. They're gonna fill them up uh, quick. quick. Yeah, that's you know for you that'll hurt X nine because I mean, sure. You know, if you're still hauling grain, you know, with two trucks, and yeah. you up, you're running up some Westfield augers, that X nine is gonna be sitting out there with some high dollar idle yeah. hours. Yeah, and that's the uh, that's the hard part to have the conversation. With a lot of guys too is is understanding what your infrastructure looks like. Yeah. And and what does your support equipment look like, and and where are you at now? Because some of that is you're not just buying a you're not just buying a combine or a new chopper. You might be buying new trucks, new tractors, everything else to go along with it. So what you thought you were spending over here was six or yep. seven hundred thousand on to use something might turn into a couple million yep. bucks pretty quick. But you get everything <laughs> kind of figured into that. We've know? told people several times, like, look, man, you don't you're not set up for this. And oh yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. be fine, we'll be fine. And they figure out pretty quick. Sure. Yeah. They, that they really weren't ready for that machine. We were, tr- yeah. we were trying to steer you in a cheaper direction and another direction, but they wanted to yeah. be new or whatever. But I really do think that that'll be a challenge for the high horsepower chopper market. Sure. Is there'll be guys that are coming out of a ninety four eighty or sixty four, you know, small seventy seventy four eighty, you know, whatever small frame, yeah. deal, and they'll see this big one, and they got the kid there that always wants the high horsepower. And all right, we mm-hmm. this big twelve row head. And they're going from six row head to a twelve row head, <laughs> right? And, yeah, oh, you know, same same speed, you know, same miles per hour yeah. through the field, cutting yeah. twice as much. You know, I mean, you're you're not just you're not just doubling your volume. You're probably and, triple or quadrupling. And still volume. got their seventy four ten with a loader track. Mm-hmm. 
and the bucket don't even have a blade on it that that's what they're packing with. Yeah. Yeah. We see that. Now now we're going, now we're going down feed quality problems that are blamed on the chopper. Yeah. On the, uh, on the support equipment out there. For sure. sure. Well, I don't think that's a good place to stop, man. If folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what you're doing over at elite ag, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, man. So uh, check out our website. Uh, It's elite ag co. Um, .com uh, or you can hit me up on our emails adam at eliteagco.com find all our stuff all our million different small small uh, short line stuff that we that we sell and specialize in mm-hmm. uh, if you've got any questions I'd love to visit with you let us yeah. look forward to Nashville here and counting down the days sir yeah that's yeah, going to be here before we know so you've been at last yeah. year was the first year you, got, you came to it so talk a little bit about what your experience was with moving on summer yeah, so I, yeah, I was, that was that was my second time. It's Steve's first go around. My partner Steve's first go around, and he was like, "Man, that's one of the best ones I've ever been to." I'm going back next year just from a from a networking standpoint, you know. Sure. And yeah. um, we go to the Dealership Mind Summit too, and I really like that. And that's more of a business oriented right. session. Like to me, yours is is all sales and equipment, and it's all equipment yeah. guys there from all different colors, all different brands. And man, you can't network enough. I yeah. don't, you know, you can't network enough in brand and yeah. cross brands. And it's just really the atmosphere you put forth is one of the best parts about it, Casey, that it is so laid back and uh, makes it where we can all have, you know, an even even say and nobody's going to be frowned upon one way or another for one opinion or not. Or yeah. Aaron, Aaron decides he wants to get Fintail, decides he wants to get about some situation. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Claxton, same way. Same way. Yeah. One evening. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. No, it's a good group of guys to come to that, man. Yeah. Good group of fellows to come to that. So. That's right. Well, Adam, I appreciate you being the podcast. Give my best to Megan. And uh, we'll do. Yeah. Tell well, Jackie we said hello as well. We will. We'll see you in Nashville here in about a month or so. so Copy that, man. So. All yeah. right, buddy. Have a good, good one, deal. Wow. See you. All right, I mean, see you, man. Thanks. In case you see more Moving Iron Podcast, check me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn and Moving Iron Podcast and see the video version of this over on YouTube at the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. If you want more information about the Moving Iron Summit, go to movingironllc.com and you'll find everything right there. So, with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Adam Verner. It's going to be smart, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online to agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hard work.